Welcome to On the Bubble Podcast, episode 25. I'm your host, Sebastian J. Weida, and with me is my co-host, Yuki Lee Bender. Today, we're going to be talking about the, not a mechanic, but a gameplay called Fatigue. Is it gameplay? What would be a strategy? Yeah, strategy. So then we're going to be talking about a strategy in Flesh and Blood that uh, most people call Fatigue. And we'll go more in detail about that a bit later. But before that, how was your week, Yuki? Honestly, my week felt pretty good. I think just the combination of finishing report cards, not being sick anymore, having more time because now I'm teaching three classes instead of four, so I get prep time at work. It's just like everything's good right now. I have more time. I get to actually do things besides stay at home and mark and be sick. <laughs> Week's been pretty good. Played some magic on the weekend. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Sure. So I was feeling bored. I noticed that there is an RCQ, which is, I guess it's basically like a pro quest, sort of. Yeah, it's basically a pro quest. Essentially a pro quest uh, for Magic the Gathering with their latest set, Phyrexia something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's Phyrexia all becomes one? All is Something one? like that. All is one? Yeah, something like that. Something to do with everything becoming one. Anyways, um, there's a limited, essentially, pro quest. And I was feeling kind of bored, so I messaged Jay, and we decided to go. Um, I don't think either of us had really played the set much at all. No, I didn't even... I decided not to go to the pre-release for the set either. So I... Um, well, Yuki invited me on Friday, and I was pretty busy on Saturday... I got to play like one. No, I got two games of sealed in of are- on arena. Like not two like sealed pools. Like two physical games. Well prepared. Well prepared. I played. Um, I think I played two sealed pools on arena. So a little bit more, but I was definitely still like reading a lot of cards at the event, <laughs> being like, "What does that do? I don't know any of your cards." <laughs> um, and just like mixing up my zones like just like forgetting that like i don't know just like the magic layout and it it was not great anyways (laughs) so how'd you do in the event um i did great my my so my pool was obscene i opened um you get a rare per pack and the rares and magic are very very good sometimes um I got to. You don't always get to play all of your rares because they might go in different decks. But I got to play five out of six of my rares, and four of them are like pretty game winning if you resolve them or like very make it very hard for your opponent to win. So a lot of my games, I just sat there playing broken rares and um, making people answer it. I had like, well, I won't go too much into detail, but I had some. I had some very very strong rares. Some of the best ones in the set for sure. <laughs> it was great. I had fun. I went four zero two won my first game in top eight and then we all decided to split and go home it was already like 6 p.m on a sunday and i think everyone was just kind of tired yeah so you end up getting the top format the promo a quarter of all the basically most of the credit that they were giving out (laughs) yeah it was a great weekend and like um when i say 402 in magic draws are um you can intentionally draw because a win, a match win is worth three points and a draw is worth one point. So once I had already gone 4-0 in the first four rounds, if I draw a draw, 
it's like having like two thirds of a win and essentially like because of the number of people once i draw draw it's like nobody can really catch up to me so at 402 i was still the first place seed since a lot of people decided to uh, draw in it's, it's quite common in in magic yeah like for myself i, I also 40 and then drew with yuki on the fifth round <laughs> <laughs> yeah we decided to go to some game store nearby and then we came back for the next round drew with our opponents and played pokemon <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, there's gonna be a pokemon regionals in vancouver in not even a month i think it's uh three weeks from now there's gonna be a pokemon regional so i ended up buying the for those that know the mu the i don't know what they're called but the they're like pre-cons that have like meta decks in it so I bought two of those. I'm going to smash it together and bring that to regionals. So before I take it apart, I was like, let's teach Yuki how to play Pokemon and we can play Pokemon together. Yeah, honestly, it's pretty fun. I've, I've actually technically played Pokemon before, but it was like when the first set was out and I was in grade school. So it's been, I think it's been over 20 years since I've played, not even exaggerating. <laughs> so I was a little bit like, the details were a little bit fuzzy, to say the least. Yeah, well, the game was pretty close. I, I thought I was going to lose, and then I pulled it out. But Jay thought he was going to lose, and he goes, Oh yeah, there's this mechanic I forgot to tell you about. You lose. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think I would have lost anyways. <laughs> yeah, you drew all of the bad cards. The All the cards that are going to get cut from the deck, uh, you drew. So yeah. And and you can like there's like a card where you get to like draw up to a certain number of cards every turn, but they were just cards that I couldn't play and I didn't have a way to get them out of my hand. So Jay's just sitting there drawing like three to four cards a turn, and I'm like, ha, huh, I can't play these and I can't get them out of my hand. <laughs> okay, let's uh yeah, move on to our main actually before we talk move on to our main topic, let's talk about something that just got spoiled this afternoon which is the mechanic stealth. Do you know what this mechanic does, Yuki? Pretty close to nothing. Um, it is a keyword that doesn't do anything on its own. It has no game rules text. And it seems that its primary purpose is there will be like other cards hung off of stealth. So we've seen some of those. Like We've seen some, on some attack reactions that can only be played on cards that have stealth. So I guess... Stealth kind of allows for certain card effects or reactions to be played on them, um, but we don't know. And we've seen some of them, but we don't know the like the whole pool of cards and everything that's possible. Yeah, so I'm assuming that Uzuri is going to have a hero power that says do X to a stealth card or do something when a stealth card is played uh, or something in that area, something like that. Yeah, and there's probably going to be like one or two scary attack reactions. Do something bad so that like you can, I don't know. It seems like the attack has to be scary or else like what's the point, right? Yeah, the common, at least the common cards with stealth is like pretty off rate. Uh, we talked about them last week, but a 0 for 3 with an on hit is not where you want to be on a card. Yeah. <clears throat> very interested to see kind of like what the rest of the mechanics surrounding stealth are um overall what do you think are you a fan of stealth so far i think it's slightly better designed than aim counters but 
I don't know. I don't like either of them. Ooh, okay. Why do you dislike aim counter? I don't like aim counters because it's exactly like stealth, where it's just like a keyword essentially on a card. But like aim counters, you have to like how do how do I say it? It's like a physical counter on our card that you have to track for something that does absolutely nothing to the game most of the time. Yeah. So like if you if you are playing, let's say Azalea with the Sandscour Great Bow. And you have, each time you get an arrow with Azalea's ability, you have to put the aim counter on it. But you could have, like, zero cards in your hand or just in your deck, actually, that doesn't have anything to do with aim counters. But then if you don't put an aim counter on it, you technically get a, what is it, a game rule violation? A misbeneficial trigger? It's probably a misbeneficial trigger. Which... If it keeps on happening, you technically could get like an upgraded penalty. I'm pretty sure. Probably, but like it definitely just... is a little bit awkward. Um, we'll see. Maybe they make it a little more compelling and interesting um, down the road. But I agree. Right now, it's sort of like just this extra thing to track, and it's like kind of it's okay. It's kind of half baked. Yeah, like I would just wish like instead of like. Aim counters, they could have been like, if you have Sand Scour Great Bow, then all of your cards get, or all of the aim counter cards work or something like that, where it was like more dependent on the on the type of um, bow they were using or something, something that's like not a counter that goes on a card that gives no actual abilities. Yeah, I hear you. It'd be nice if it did something. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm not a huge fan of these keywords that don't do anything on their own. I kind of wish that they did. Um, and like, yeah, they could give us a piece of equipment that gives like your cards with aim counters plus one and like design them around that. But it's also just like, why not just make the counter give it plus one? <laughs> and, I don't know. Like not like we haven't, they haven't actually done that, but I'm just, yeah. Yeah. As an example. It's a bit awkward. <laughs> okay. It's not the worst. It's not the worst mechanic, honestly. It's just, it just feels like why. Yeah. It just, it just feels like, man, this card is bolded. It should be important, but it's actually not important. And you're gonna have like random people ask you, "What does stealth do?" I think aim. I think aim counters are great because people don't block your. Um, you play on Talishar, and people don't block your drill shot. And you put in, then you put a minus one counter on their equipment, and they go, "Why did I get a minus one counter? There's no aim counter." And I go, "It doesn't matter." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does drill shot do something with an aim counter on it? Yeah, it gets um, piercing one. I didn't. I actually didn't know drill shot had something to do with aim counters on it. Yep, it does, and I think a lot of people assume that it's like the minus. Like, like I can see, like it's like the main effect. So you're like, oh, surely that's the aim counter. But like the more marginal piercing one is the aim counter, and then the the arrow is just good on its own. That's probably like why it's the, the main aim counter card that sees play is because it's just good on its own. So it is the same as Deadeye. Like Azalea List has just picked it up as like a yellow three block that can pump for three. Um, so like the cards that are just like good on their own and then happen to have aim counters have been a lot better than the like hemorrhage bores. It's just like a vanilla arrow unless you have an aim counter on it. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, move on to our main topic, which is fatigue. Do you want to explain what is fatigue? So fatigue is basically a strategy where 
your win condition is running your opponent out of cards in deck. You don't literally win the game when that happens, but of course, once they have no more cards to play, uh, it becomes very hard to block and very hard to attack for meaningful damage. So often, this is a win condition. Um, we often see this in decks that have like strong weapons. Like there used to be like ninja fatigues that just relied on Kadachi value over and over again. Bravo used to do this with Anathos. More recently, we've had Oldham with um, Winter's Whale, and often just that recursive value of the weapon kind of lets you just close out the game in the long run, and um, eventually your opponent just can't block it anymore, and they run out of cards. So right now, at least in our notes, I see. You put in two different bullet points. This is passive fatigue and active fatigue. What do you mean by passive fatigue? So I think there's kind of two flavors that fatigue can take. The first one is, I think, what a lot of people think of when they think of fatigue. And this is like some of the, maybe some of the Ultim lists that came out um, very early on when like Oldham was a brand new hero that relied very heavily on Rampart of the Ram's Head and um, Crown of Seeds to just sit there and block out damage. Like you saw them like just sitting there blocking Shane and essentially like weathering the storm until Shane decks himself um, and doing the strategy against Briar as well. Yeah, and, and then once again, we've seen a bit of a resurgence of what I call this like more passive fatigue that's very defensive focused. Um, with Ultim once again, now that Winter's Whales has been banned, some some Ultim players, not all, have switched to that sort of like life gain Warhorn Remembrance build that can sort of um, remove win conditions from setup decks and then also um, just outlast the more aggressive decks like Briar. Well, maybe not specifically Briar. That's a terrible example because Briar can loop cards. But anyways, outlast Phi. <laughs> then what is uh, active fatigue? Active fatigue is more. I'm, I'm just kind of defining this as like when you're actively playing cards, and in by playing your cards, you're sort of potentially decking your opponent. I think a great example of this is Dromai, where you kind of have to. If you don't manage the dragons, you get overrun. But because the deck blocks really well, it might play some sigils of solace to give its dragons go again and incidentally gain life, and you're kind of spending. You're spending all this extra damage on all her dragons that are not going and attacking her specifically. So in this way, she's kind of like demanding a lot of cards from you. And so she, even though she's playing a more proactive strategy, she can. Part of her angle is that she can risk fatiguing you. Um, Arachne is potentially like this, although I think Arachne can also be pretty heavy, like defensive. So it maybe depends how you're building it. And um, I think even some of the like proactive Oldham lists were like this sometimes. Like sometimes you saw games where Oldham would just smash you with spinal crushes over and over again and endless winters, and you're just sitting there blocking because if you don't, you don't get a turn, and you just end up decking out because you're blocking all their big attacks and you run out of threats. So it wasn't like the primary strategy of that deck, but it was like definitely part of what it could do and what it could threaten. Yeah, I think those are really good examples. You guess we'll go to the next topic. Do we like, sorry, do you like fatigue, Yuki? 
I think in general, I'm pretty okay with the active fatigue decks. I think it adds an interesting angle where you kind of have to manage the threats in your deck. And I think that they're doing things that are pretty healthy for the game. Like they're they're finding they're usually finding ways to slow down the game, either with permanence in the case of Dromai that you have to interact with, or with drag uh, or with um, or with disruption in the case of Ultim. So I think that active fatigue is actually pretty healthy. The passive fatigue, I'm not such a fan of because I feel like it just kind of reduces a lot of your cards to their block value or like maybe their pitch value if you're dealing with arcane and everything just becomes like a blocking card in your weapon and you have like maybe some defense reactions and not a lot of your other cards really matter. Or like maybe you have like Warhorn, like you have like a couple key cards in the deck and then the rest of your deck is just like titanium baubles. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, now I just want to see a fatigue deck just play titanium baubles just just to make a point. You probably could. Like if you only ran titanium baubles, your deck would probably be bad, but like No, but like you can only play three copies of titanium bauble. Yeah. You could run three, and I don't think it would hurt you all that much, honestly. It might hurt you like your Dromai matchup if you're old because then you don't have as many poppers, but What where where do we get titanium baubles? I think it's Reinar versus Dorenthia uh, Classic Battles or whatever. Oh, I, you didn't get a full playset, did you? I think you got one per deck? I have no idea. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's tempting me to play Titanium Baubles now. Just to make a point? Just to make a point. What do you think about passive and active fatigue? Myself, I actually just enjoy playing fatigue decks in general, both passive and active. Um, on Talishar, I like only play Arachne because... I just like doing that type of, you know, blocking out basically everything my opponent's doing and then pitching a blue for, you know, spider's bite for one. It's just like, it's definitely like a play style that I I really enjoy is just like grinding through my opponent's whole deck and then picking at them until they like can't win anymore, essentially. Yeah, your win condition is just not losing for long enough that they can no longer win the game? No, I think a better way of saying it would be like, your win condition is running your opponent out of win conditions. That's reasonable. And I can definitely see some of the appeal to it. Like, I think, like, I played Hearthstone. In Hearthstone, there were also fatigue decks, and I actually really enjoyed those because it kind of felt like... It kind of felt like you were playing your whole deck against their whole deck, and there was a lot of, like, can I use this threat here? Like, I have an answer to this thing, but can I use it here to deal with this, or do I need to save it for, like, one of their other cards that I know? So, like, I really enjoyed that aspect. I think I liked that I was, like, playing my cards, whereas I feel like fatigue in this... You're blocking. Like your cards don't matter. Like, they're just three blocks. No, no. The, the whole point of fatigue decks in this game is how do you make your three blocks actually block for three and how do you get your like the special four blocks to actually block for four because when your four blocks start blocking for three and your three blocks starting blocking for two you're gonna have a problem is that fun though i feel like i feel like it's just like this thing attacks for three or more i use my three block <laughs> this thing attacks for four or more i use my four block i know that's like a little bit reductive because you're predicting what your opponent's doing but I've, I've just never found like like i've played prism fatigue into chain and it's that's even like a more active fatigue deck because sometimes you kill them with blood debt and like your um, arc light sentinels so there was like stuff to think about there and i still thought that was pretty boring <laughs> 
No, no. The what you have to do, or she not what you have to do, but the way that I take enjoyment from playing fatigue is at a specific point, both players are gonna hit their pitch tack, and then the feeling that I love when I play fatigue is when both players have like twenty two cards left there left in their deck. If you know you've won or lost, or like. If you or if you're like losing, if you can like somehow turn that pitch tacked deck into a winning spot somehow, right? So like, there's a lot of like not you're not really you don't really have to think about what's happening on the current turn because like you're blocking and they're gonna attack you with whatever cards they have. But it's more of like how do I adjust my pitch stack or like how fast I go through my deck to be able to line up the right cards with their right cards. So I guess a good example would be like. Typically, something like Razor Reflex and Pummels that gets pitched is like, can you um, line up the defense reactions or the right defense reactions with the like with their pummels? So like sometimes like you would like pitch a Sigil of Solace into the bottom of your deck, or you know a life gain card that would only block for two or doesn't even have a block value. And if you line that up with their pummel, you're gonna lose. Like you're just never gonna win that game. But then. Can you like somehow adjust the pitch stack by like maybe keeping a card in your hand and only drawing three cards so you can move your pitch stack by one or like small things like that where where lining up your defensive cards with your opponent's win conditions is like is something that I enjoy doing all the time. That's fair. I can see how the second cycle could be pretty rewarding when you put it that way. It's not something I had really considered, but yeah, it's the fo- it's it's not the second cycle, Yuki. It's the fourth cycle that you want to win on. Yeah, I know a lot of you fatigue players are built different. I know, um, I know at nationals, I saw Tarek Patel trying to figure out the Phi matchup by just like playing with face down cards and imagining like Phi's line, like Phi's attacks, and being like, I block, and then like this turn I arsenal, and then they're on a five card hand, and I like, line up my crown with their five card hand, and I'm leaking this much damage, but I'm hammering for this much, and then they're gonna run out of reds, and I'm okay. like, there's clearly a lot to this. I just. It was just interesting to watch because it's just so... It's, like, not a way that I typically engage with the game. During Nationals, like, the Fatigue Oldham lists were so good. So easy. You had you had a Pulse of Eyes on Love. That card's insane. It's true. Imagine what? if they still had it. <laughs> Dude, that card is, like... That card just blocks for six by pitching it to Oldham's ability. How's that fair? That's why it's banned. <sighs> That's... All right. I think a lot of people that have listened to us for a while probably already expected our answers. I think we've kind of talked about them before. Um, Do you want to talk about regardless of whether or not we like fatigue, whether it's healthy for the game? Are you ready to move on? Yeah, I'm ready to move on. (laughs) Okay. So we want to talk about is fatigue healthy for the game? And in our notes, it kind of says healthy in quotation marks. And I think healthy kind of means different things for different stakeholders in the game. And so we're going to kind of break it down by the different stakeholders and kind of how it impacts each of them and and talk about that. So to give you an overview, we're going to talk about fatigue in casual play, which we're kind of defining as like, I guess, like armory or under. Um, Competitive play, which would, I guess, be everything above that. Uh, tournament organizers, so the people running the tournaments, I guess potentially judges in here as well, and um, finally, spectators. Uh, I guess I'll just start off with the uh, casual play. I think fatigue is awful for casual play. Like, 
it doesn't matter how much I say I like fatigue or like I love playing fatigue, I love the fatigue mirror. When I'm needing to do this or playing against somebody that doesn't typically play competitive flesh and blood, fatigue is like, how do I say this? Fatigue is not a gameplay that I would want to show a brand new player. Why is that, Jay? It, because, hmm. You're gonna make like these new players feel like no matter what they do, they can't actually win. And like yeah. the best way to play a any guard card game or any board game is to f- experience winning. Yeah, I think I agree. I think like sitting back and feeling like you're getting stonewalled. Like you pick up this game and you're like, I was trying to play my cards and my opponent just sat there and blocked and then I lost. Cool game. Like I could see that being actively detrimental especially for newer players um what do you think about like players who have been around for a bit but are still casual because i feel like a lot of people like i'm thinking of certain players that are locals that play at armories i think generally are not huge fans of fatigue i've just heard them like talking about it um what do you think so we kind of talked about like the new player experience what do you think might be not so fun for some players that are maybe not new but just you know, maybe they'll play like a local pro quest or two, but they're not like traveling and grinding events. Well, the worst part about those, um, like the fatigue decks, um, will be if you aren't a player that plays fast enough, you actually experience a lot of draws when you play against fatigue decks. So sometimes it feels like when you're playing against a fatigue deck, but you're, you yourself is a little bit slow, uh, you end up drawing a lot. And when that happens, you feel like if you played out your whole deck, they the fatigue player would have died, and like you would have won the game. And the reason why you couldn't finish the game was because they're playing the strategy that you can't, like you couldn't bring the game to a conclusion. And a lot of the time, it's like a little bit of a misconception where typically, if the fatigue deck gets to that point, you're almost never gonna beat the fatigue deck. But it still feels bad when. You draw and basically both player loses. And as I said, like with the with the casual players that like the newer player, not winning is not fun. <laughs> and I think just like yeah, the feeling of drawing can be frustrating. And I think also just fatigue in this game naturally puts a lot of pressure on your opponent to have like a specific answer to it in like perhaps their deck construction or maybe in their gameplay, like they have an end game pitch deck or they have a, I don't know, an evergreen loop or you're planning to, I don't know, play a bunch of insidious chills and discard your opponent and then have like a big combo turn. Like you, you usually have like a very specific way to overcome that. And I think that sometimes forcing players to kind of play that like lethal puzzle, if you will, can be, if they're not in the, like, not everybody enjoys playing against that or figuring that out, and you're kind of, like, forcing them to do it whether they want to or not, which I think, especially at a casual setting, can be kind of off-putting for some people. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, as you said, like, these strategies, you have to start doing it from turn one. You can't, you can't like, figure this out halfway through the game. Yeah, I think from both sides, right? Like you need to be committed to fatigue as the fatigue player. And you also need to be thinking about at least like the possibility, like when you sit down against an oldum, you need to at least be thinking about the possibility of fatigue and then kind of do a evaluation one to three turns about is fatigue on the table? Have they taken enough damage? Think about it. Should I be 
defensively. Let's move on to uh, competitive play. Do you think it's healthy for a competitive setting? I think it's okay. I guess I feel like so. I feel like from a competitive player's standpoint, you should be doing what you think gives you the best chance to win. And fatigue is a legitimate strategy that can let you win. And I, I never would like it if even if I don't personally love fatigue and I have some issues with it, I never would hold it against a competitive player for playing the strategy because they're just playing within the rules of the game, and that's that's totally is totally reasonable. So. In a lot of senses, I don't have an issue with it in competitive play. I just also don't know that... I mean, I guess some people are really enjoying it. So I guess the upside is that some players like yourself and and I'm sure many others play that style of gameplay, and that's that's pretty cool. Um, but I think the potential downside is just it can kind of drag out the event. Um, there is that risk of draws, and I, I guess I wish that it put... I wish it felt more even. I feel like fatigue puts a very big onus on the person playing against fatigue, like trying to overcome it, to find a way to beat it. And I feel like for some competitive players, actually for a lot of competitive this can be like a pretty big knowledge check. And you can kind of, like, it feels like there's like a, there's like a little bit of like a gotcha element to it in some cases. Like, I, I guess it kind of depends. Like if you're fatiguing, like chain or even like lightning briar back in the day i was more interested in that i thought that was kind of but i also feel like if your strategy just into every matchup is like i'm just gonna fatigue every matchup with my fatigue oldham deck it's sort of you're putting a lot of pressure on your opponent to play quickly into your like very long strategy that doesn't take much input from you and takes a ton of out like takes a ton of input from them and i find that aspect of it just like a little bit obnoxious and just like you can play it into briar and i think if you play it into a briar that's really practiced and has the plan you're probably never beating them but at the same time you'll beat a lot of briars because they just like can't execute or maybe you'll draw against them because they don't play fast enough or maybe um maybe they're just like not quite where they need to be and they're not quite at I think often these strategies are quite hard to beat and you need to be like quite a strong player to be seasoned into it. And I guess that aspect of it is more than anything, like almost like obnoxious or just unpleasant. Like, I just feel like it just creates these kind of feel bad moments. Yeah, it's more, I think a good example would be like, it feels like the fatigue player puts like a brick wall in front of you and they're asking you, did you bring the tools to break it down? Do you even have a plan to break it down? Yeah. And... Sometimes if you don't bring a plan to break it down, you just have to sit there and like, you either have to play fast enough so your opponent wins, or you play slow and both players lose. Like, you get to a point where you can't ever win. When you like, when you sit down, you can't win. It's not a good feeling. On the whole, it is probably not as bad for competitive players as it is for casual or new players. But I do think that you're sort of servicing like, it's definitely the kind of deck that like some people are really getting enjoyment out of and it's like perhaps a lens of others and that's not necessarily like a terrible thing like i think there will always be those kinds of decks in card games i know that even though icelander is not a fatigue deck there are a lot of people that hate playing against icelander and i just i love icelander so like i can't even say that i haven't put people in like the same spot it's not the exact same spot but i think that I think it's important in these discussions to keep in mind that like even if I don't like fatigue or like you don't you're not a fan of it like someone else's listener is not a fan of fatigue 
just because you don't have fun playing against it isn't necessarily a reason it shouldn't be. There's probably like some kind of tipping point. Like if if absolutely everybody's not having fun and like hates it, then it's not good. But I just I don't know exactly where disliking it. Yeah, there's there's definitely always gonna be someone that's gonna love it. I'm gonna go back a little bit to the Magic the Gathering example, but I loved playing Lantern Control, which is like this is like the farthest spectrum you can get to like a fatigue deck where you are literally playing cards that have no impact in the game whatsoever other than looking at the top card of your opponent's deck. And you play four copies of this card. Can't I put a card to the bottom or something if you sacrifice no, it? No, if you sacrifice it, you shuffle your opponent's deck. Oh, you shuffle. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if they have a card that you really don't want to see, you can shuffle. And and for anybody not familiar with Magic, this mechanic is a lot stronger in Magic because you only draw one card per turn. So often if you know like the whole contents of their hand and you see what they're drawing like you can predict their entire turn yeah there's like just i just love that strategy i just like fatigue or like just like control-esque not really control but like more of the i'm gonna i'm just not gonna let you play the game type of deck so it's just like is something i like see it's so interesting because i enjoy like stacks and prism and denial strategies but i don't like fatigue and i i couldn't even necessarily tell you exactly what the difference is but i like strategies like i think that's why i like icelander is i like just like discarding disrupting i find all of that super fun but something about fatigue just like never appealed to me it might just be like it might be what i talked about it just like feels like my cards don't matter and i don't like that the, the thing you know what, what's funny though I I hated playing against Prism play uh playing as Chain in the Chain meta because like your one card Arclight Sentinel would just when you play that card I lose like like in a spot where where it matters and you play Arclight Sentinel I take like six seven damage and my turn ends and then you get to attack me like how's this fair Look I love Prism. Prism's a good deck. Or like Icelander when like they chain like eight channel lake fridges in one in, in like one game. Like they have it for the whole game. It's not a pleasant feeling, Yuki. It's so fun. So, I gotta sit there and make it so that you don't get to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, both Jay and I are just sick like that i guess in different ways apparently we like different flavors of the same kind of thing no but like i think that icelander has this like really cool like tempo proactive element to it as well like it's yeah it feels like you're using card abilities to disrupt your opponent which is different from using block value to disrupt your opponent i just want to play my cards i just want to play my cards and i want to draw cards it's like all i want to do in card games (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if i can do a deck that does a lot of both of those things then like it's even better okay let's let's just uh we're getting a little bit sidetracked let's go back into this yeah so i guess the last group that we haven't touched on that we can touch on really briefly is tournament organizers and spectators and i think that these are like pretty clearly negatives um for tournament organizers fatigue can really stretch out the game especially in top eight it just takes um and then for spectators, I think I'm sure that there are people that enjoy watching the grindy olden mirrors, but I feel like in general, it's like not. It doesn't feel like the matchups that I see excited about, and I know personally, <laughs> whenever I see fatigue, it, 
like sometimes I'll watch it at two times and the rest of the time I'll seek like one minute at a time and just see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's really funny is uh, when I was watching, what was it, the calling coverage? My favorite game to watch was the Fatigue Oldham versus the Briar game. And the Briar, sorry, I forgot who the the Briar was. I think it was Nathan Crawford. Like the was this the game where the Briar ended up winning with the rights of the punishment loot? Yeah, yeah, it was that one. I thought that game was pretty cool. Um, I have to agree that that actually was a pretty good game, and I did watch all of that one. Yeah, um, the I think that the players played fast made it a lot more pleasant to watch. Like it was untimed, and like the players actually played like pretty quickly. Um, Sometimes it's just so slow, like, players just sit there and tank for so long. <laughs> it's so boring. I think it's, like, it's not even, like, a fatigue thing that's, like, gonna make it bad for the spectators. I think it might just be, like, the pace of play. So, like, when when a player just plays slowly, it doesn't matter if it's an aggro mirror or the, or the fatigue mirror. If players are playing slowly, it's not pleasant to watch. That's fair, and I guess it's 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 made worse if it's like an untimed two-hour top eight match that just drags on forever. Whereas, like if it's an aggro mirror, even if they're even if they're taking a long time, it's like the game is still forty short minutes, thirty minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, one thing I just wanted to talk about about the fatigue uh, Oldham versus the Briar game was like I felt like the fatigue Oldham could have won that game if he didn't leak a, like some number of damage here and there and got to keep slightly more cards to put more pressure on the Briar's life total. Whereas if he kept... where he, he, There was a point where he, he was looping the um, rights loop, but then if you had the specific cards to gain the life and to block with the Crown of Seeds and the Rampart, you could have Titan's Fist enough times to put Briar back to like seven health and then start pressuring the hand again. Then I think Oldham could have won through the loop. Yeah, there was definitely a lot to that match. And it's not necessarily as straightforward as like they have a loop in their deck so they can never win. It's like definitely closer and more involved in that. And it depends on like the Briar's early ability to push some damage and then establish the loop like close out the game with that loop yeah i was just sad that the warhorn was on play and i think there was a turn where he could have used the warhorn and he didn't and i was like no that's seven life oh yeah i don't i don't remember the game well enough anymore it's been a bit (laughs) then uh let's talk about should lss do anything about the fatigue stuff honestly i think that it's a strategy that they should definitely be careful about when designing cards because i think that mm, i think that if fatigue i guess right now fatigue feels kind of okay because it is a flavor of old time but i feel like if fatigue ever became like the tier zero deck that just like everybody was playing i think it would be pretty uh it wouldn't be great. Like, it doesn't really feel like a great place for the game to be. Like, a, just just like I don't think if like Kano was tier zero, that would be like a particularly healthy place for the game to be. Um, often these like super polarized decks that are like playing the game in an unusual way is maybe like not the main mode that the game should be engaged in. So I think they need to be really careful when designing cards um, for fatigue and. In particular, I think they should 
think about effects um, like Warhorn that can potentially deal with these setup decks permanents and maybe consider like like maybe as a safety valve on that card if you if you are if LSS is indeed concerned about people looping Warhorn, which maybe they're not, maybe they like that gameplay pattern, but if they were concerned about it, I'd like to see them maybe consider having some of these like legendary cards banish themselves when you activate them, just so you, you don't have to worry about them getting recurred. Because it's like, yeah, you can get rid of Remembrance, but then any, anytime anything else recurs, it is. So I think that they just need to be like very, very careful how many tools they give the strategy. And I think it's important for there to be I think it's important that there are clear that there are counters to it as well. Yeah, I think Warhorn itself is a pretty well designed card already. It's um they've made it legendary, so you can't play more than one copy in your deck. Already they've looked into making sure that fatigue doesn't just like run over the format. And we can see this by like cards having slightly more aggressive values on them than defensive values. So and a lot of the cards that are defensive in general are class specific so like we don't get so many we're not i'm assuming we're not gonna get another zero for four defense reaction at generic anytime soon yeah we saw them print sink below and fate foreseen and it seemed like they pretty quickly realized that if they print a good four for zero defense reaction every set then it might have negative impacts on the game down the road so I think it's something, actually, I know it's something that LSS is aware of. Brian Gottlieb on Twitter, who works for LSS, I think has like a, I don't know if he did, I don't know if he's part of the design team or he's, I think he's a contractor, but he helps design cards and sets. Anyways, um, and he's also a caster. Um, he has talked about this and has mentioned that it's like a very fine balancing act and something that they're constantly checking in with. So overall, I think LSS has done a pretty good job managing fatigue and um, I think an interesting thing to consider is that like it's easy to get really critical of fatigue, but keep in mind the you also do need defensive strategies to be viable, or everything just becomes aggro decks running at each other. So like the the, the other opposite end is not good either, right? Yeah, when only fatigue, no, sorry, only like Fi and Briar becomes viable decks. It's gonna be awful to play. I I I regret all of my decisions playing Fi in the last PTQ in the last PQ season. It wasn't fun, at least for me. Yeah, and I think there's like a a place for those decks, but I think at least a lot of the Fi players I talk to often enjoy like some of the more mid rangey matchups more than they enjoy the Fi mirror specifically. And like thinking about like is like. Just a little bit back, if you think back to the Stubby Hammers Phi deck, um, like those mirrors were even more awful. So I just think like the more that you go into this like hyper aggressive blocking doesn't matter, the more that that's also a problematic design space. So I think it is like a very very tight balancing act that LSS has to do, and so far so good. The last thing is, uh, do you think LSS needs to ban anything? I think it's too early to say. Um, I would lean to. I feel like I always say this. I would lean towards no action right now. Um, I think it's reasonable to give people time to adapt. Although, at the same time, if they want to get... I feel like if they want to hit some aspect of the Fatigue Ultim deck, I'm opposed to it either. Like, something about... I, I hear what you're saying about Warhorn being legendary than having to recur it with... But just like the whole... 
I find like the whole plan and like the like crown of seeds just being like this engine that enables it. It just kind of feels like it's like mind space. And if they decided to hit, I think that main pieces are. I don't think they should ban Warhorn, but I guess the main remembrance or crown of seeds. Um, I think that's something they could look at. I know they don't want to ban elves, so I don't know if they will. If, if they if they hit some aspect of this, I wouldn't be upset, but I also don't think... I'm not advocating for bans either, I guess is my position. What do you think? I'm going to be very biased here. I want to play Fatigue Oldham. I'm just missing Imperial Warhorn. That card is randomly hard to find in Canada. Um, I'm not really actively looking for it either, so that might be the case as well. But yeah, I don't think anything should be banned. Remembrance would probably be the card to get banned, if anything. Um, I don't think they need to ban Warhorn. That card is not that good anyways. And yeah, they're just not going to ban Els. No way. That would hurt my wallet too. Yeah, I think they'd really like to avoid it. And, and not to say they never have. They they did ban Crown of Seeds in Blitz. Um, but, it, but it's always still been legal in at least one format. And then they've also banned... Stormstriders briefly before unbanning it due to I don't know if it's due to backlash or because Kino kind of disappeared or I, I don't know the like, exact reason for it but I people were definitely not I think people were not super thrilled about Stormstriders like such a marquee card for a class getting banned so yeah I don't know maybe maybe the right play is just to keep banning cards around Crown of Seeds and leave Ultim and Earth Heroes with Crown of Seeds is just like a very powerful and very um i think a very interesting equipment it kind of does something nothing else in the game does right now yeah yeah what was i gonna say i was gonna say something oh i remember now yeah like cards like crown of seeds and um just like cards like ram's head hard offendle cards like these where they have slightly more defensive value than or like recurring defensive value is like the reason why fatigue decks can exist and at least for now arachne doesn't have any like consistently repeating um defensive value other than hard offendal so that deck's not gonna be an issue yet but in outsiders if if arachne gets any kind of recurring defensive value card so like maybe something like a mask of perdition that with or at least a way to make silvers easier to make mask of perdition a problem you're gonna see some kind of super passive fatigue arachne deck coming up as well and i just wanted to like say that a formula for a bad format or like too many fatigue is just gonna be cards that generate life or defensive value for free without using any cards yeah that makes sense to me the and we kind of saw that previously with Drone of Brutality as well, right? Where these these cards that keep providing value and don't take cards from your deck are very, very powerful in the right spots. And I think that that's like a common trend and one that we're going to probably continue to see, honestly. I don't really see that going anywhere. Just anytime that you're making the game all about every single card in your deck if you have a card that's just doing something over and over and over again and giving you value that's going to let you get an edge 
Okay, I think that's everything I want to talk about. Anything else you want to touch on, Fatigue? No, I think that pretty much covered it. And I don't know if we ever came to a full conclusion. I think it's hard since both of us are divided, but hopefully, you know, hearing some of our thoughts on either side of Fatigue and just some of our discussion about it helps you think about Fatigue and kind of conceptualize it in the game as well. Because I do think that, you know, there's some some very real trade-offs there and that all blocking, all attacking both have potential issues and probably the healthiest place for the game to be is when both of those strategies are viable some of the time. If you don't like fatigue, just try it once. <laughs> maybe maybe you'll find a maybe you'll find a game where you're like, wow, this feels good. And then you can transform trans transform? No. Transform? No. What is the word? Convert? Convert. I think I like the word convert the best. Yeah, convert into a fatigue player. And then if we get enough people to play fatigue in every tournament, we'll get the strategy banned. Ooh. So if you can't beat them, join them, and then LSS will do something about it. Exactly. Okay, so I think that's going to wrap up our episode. Thanks for listening. As always, if you have any thoughts about fatigue, um, we'd love for you to weigh in in the comments um, down below. So feel free to let us know what you think about fatigue. Are there points you agree with or disagree with? Um, we'd love to hear. Additionally, if there's anything you'd like to hear talked about on the podcast in our upcoming episodes, um, please also let us know about that. Um, we're sort of in a bit of a down season right now with not so many events running. And if there's a particular topic you want to hear about, um, that'd be great to know. You can let us know once again in the comments, or you can reach out to us on social media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Yuki Lee Bender, and you can find Jay on Twitter at Ueda Jay. Uh, you can also email us at onthebobble at gmail.com and send us your questions and feedback directly there. Until next time, thanks for listening. Have fun playing Flesh and Blood. For the sign-off, uh, do you want to talk about what, uh, are you going to go, so, okay, I'll try again. So you won your invite for the regional championships for Magic the Gathering uh, because mm -hmm. you top-aided the, the RCQ. Are you and you also did. I also did, yes. Uh, are you going to go to Edmonton and or, is it Toronto? Uh, I can't just double check this. I think it's Edmonton and Toronto. Yeah, I'm not I, sure. Are you going to either or both? What's your? Do plan? we know when it is? I can take a look. Just give me one second. I don't actually know when it is. Um, I will say that I had no plans to go. Um, I wasn't especially playing the event to get the invite. I didn't really care about the invite. I was more just playing it because I felt like playing limited and it was a tournament and there was no flesh and blood tournament. Um, format seems okay. Um, so yeah, I was just like mostly doing it as like a thing for fun. I guess there's a non-zero chance that I could go if it would probably be contingent on like how many, like it lining up at a good time and there being enough friends going that I would want to spend time with and then I would consider going but 
I think it'd be like mostly going for like the social thing and then like showing up to the tournament and having fun, but I don't know if I would like, otherwise I don't think I, I really would. Wow. You don't want to hang out with Richard and Nam. I mean, I do, but it's also like I can hang out with Richard and Nam in Vancouver. <laughs> no, you can't. That'd be impossible. You don't do that at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like if there's like a bunch of friends, I feel like often like the big group experience of like playing an event, chatting with your friends, going for food after, like that's pretty fun. And I haven't done that in a while. And maybe, maybe. What about you? Are you thinking of going? Uh, it depends on what other card games are going on. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you the date right now. It's uh, Toronto is June 2nd to 4th. And Edmonton is June sixteenth to the eighteenth. Mm. This sounds like report card season. Yeah, I was gonna say that's report card season. <laughs> um, June second to fourth is possible. June sixteenth to eighteenth is like pretty unlikely. It's in the last one to two weeks, so I kind of doubt that I would go to that one. But early June, early June's still like kind of chill sort of okay early june is toronto so you have to go to toronto to play the rc okay i could maybe do that i guess there's like i feel like a lot of the um canadian flesh and blood people that people know about and like the in the toronto scene like i don't know matthew delks Tarek Patel. Isaac Crute, Sean Dollywall. Although a lot of those guys come from Magic, uh, David Rude, and a lot of them, I think, still like kind of play Magic sometimes. So I okay. bet a bunch of them will be going to the RC if it's like in Toronto. Yeah, that'll make sense. So yeah, maybe you can hang out with them. Fun. Yeah, maybe that'd be kind of fun. Hmm. Okay, I'll think about it. Yeah, I don't know. I What's the format? It's constructed, right? It's Pioneer. Ooh. Okay. Pioneer sounds okay. Yeah, so... I can just play the Lotus Field deck. I like the Lotus Field deck. I know it's not the degenerate one with Underworld Breach anymore, but I still like that deck. Yeah, I think... I think Nam was playing Lotus Field recently and was saying that that deck was broken. So Yeah, I've heard it's like a good deck in the format. So, I mean, I guess who knows what will happen by June. I'm sure there'll be like five magic sets and things could have changed. But <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I'll do that. I don't know. Hmm. You've planted the seed now. Good work, Jay. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I feel like I'm going to be like, oh, let's go. And then I'm going to strand you and I'm going to go somewhere else. It sounds so likely, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to play Battle Spirit Saga, Jay? Oh, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna tell my boss the which days I need to take off. Uh, probably tomorrow. And then I'm going to go to Vegas to go play Battle Spirits. Uh, I'm gonna take some extra days to stay in Vegas to play some poker and try and make money. So it'll be a good weekend. Nice. That's the same weekend as the Outsiders release. Um, yeah. 
March 24, 25, 26. Yeah. I'll see. I might be traveling down to the, um, gosh, what is it called? I can't think of its full name, but I know that MinMax Games in Chicago is partnered with the Realm Realm Gaming Network, and I, they're running some kind of 5K event. The new set will be legal. Um, I think it gets you an invite if you place well enough. Maybe if you win, I don't know. It, it can somehow potentially get you an invite to an invitational later on that I think is like a 20K or something. So oh. I might go to that. If you are going to go to that, um, I might pass you some cards to buy list to MinMax because I know their buy list was actually pretty good. And uh, I was thinking about selling to them, but then shipping is too much. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe. Yeah, it, have... it would be good practice for the PTO as well. So Yeah, they had like an extensive like buy list that was like pretty decent. And like they had different pricing for like foils and non-foils. And it was just like, yeah, it was good. It was a good, it was a good buy list. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun. It mostly depends if <laughs> it mostly depends if I can pressure Nia into going because flying to flying to Chicago sucks from Vancouver. It's really expensive. Um, so if I went, I would fly to Toronto for like a hundred and sixty dollars, and then get Nia to try. <laughs> Was it? It's like an eight-hour drive. <laughs> it's, uh, when I heard last time, I thought Neil wanted to like fly to Vancouver to try and practice draft on that weekend. He did. I'm trying to convince him to go to this instead. He'll do one of the two. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be hanging out with Neil that weekend. I just, I just don't know what it's going to look like just yet. We'll see. Yeah, just convince him to go there and then after fly to Vancouver when I'm back in Vancouver so we can start doing some draft practice for the PT. Very good. That's a good idea. And plus, like, we should go down there. There's not going to be any good players from the Midwest. Like, I heard one person was going. I don't know if you've heard of him before. Michael Hamilton. (laughs) I I don't know who that is. Like, event should be pretty soft, right? Yeah, super soft. Yeah, Midwest tournament. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be some good players, but it does sound like fun. So, yeah, you can we'll see. you can actually test your skills. Like that never happens, Yuki. The only tor- the only tournament you show up to is like Canadian Nationals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just play Nationals and Pro Tours pretty much and Worlds. It's true. It really is the only events we can get to. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to go to a calling. Like it. <sighs> People always talk about like, oh, there's no callings in Europe. And like, yeah, I have callings closer than Europe. But if you want to go to like Indianapolis or somewhere like that, it's a full day of travel on like on both ends honestly because you can't get even though the sunday flight back's pretty good because you're like because the time zones work in your favor you can't actually get a flight that leaves late enough like the latest flight leaves at five and if you top it you just can't make your flight so you have to book for monday 
And then Friday, because of the time change, you like leave at six and arrive at like 7 p.m. or something. You'll, it's like an entire day of travel. So you just end up like having to have two days, like a day on either side for travel. So it's a pretty big commitment to go. Yeah, it's you can do the monster play with which is you book a flight on Sunday night. And then if you top eight, you book another flight on Monday instead and pay five times the price. That sounds so mid. <laughs> uh, you could do you could do another. So what's the angle here? I like play the event. I top eight. I sell the gold foil, and then I like break even because I paid for both my flights. It's like, oh man. Yeah, yeah. You you win by the margin of the PTI. Oh, okay, okay. Value, I guess uh yeah somewhat you could be like a monster like uh someone from vancouver who decided to who decided to play worlds then didn't want to play day two for whatever reason and just booked the flight and flew back anyways wait what you you didn't hear no (laughs) Yeah, he made day two. He was X and three or four, and he didn't want to play Worlds anymore, so he just booked a flight for Sunday morning and just left instead. And he like already had a flight booked for Monday. Yep. He he like changed his flight and got like some rebate, I think. Wow. Monster play. <laughs> Okay, I could do that. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay, I think uh, this is enough for a uh, what's it called? A sign off. It's honestly probably too much, but yeah, some people will enjoy it. Some people won't. If you don't, if you don't enjoy, it, just don't listen to it. They're not. They're already not here anymore. Mm, true. If you did make it this far. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I would be curious to know if anybody's still listening. Okay, perfect. And good night, everyone. Good night.